Welcome to The Alex Tremble Show, where we share the strategies and secrets you need to know in order to successfully increase your influence, build strategic networks, and advance in your career. An award-winning speaker, author, and leadership coach, Alex brings executive leaders from across the world to share their inspirational stories and insights to help you become an exceptional public servant while also reaching your career goals. Without further ado, here's your host, Alex D. Tremble. Hello, everyone. This is Alex Trimble from GPS Leadership Solutions, and I'm so excited to be here with a good friend of mine, Jason. Um, Jason is, um, honestly, I'm going to say he's just a really cool guy, period. Um, <laughs> before I even knew his background, he was just like really um, a forward thinker, not was, is, is a forward innovative thinker, and so I just loved having the conversations with him. Um, but then I ran across his bio, and I was like, dude, I, I got I to interview you because you're fr- freaking awesome, so I'm going to be I'll be real with you right now. Um, Jason is a partner at um, uh, at Shaw Bradford and Roth. Um, he is the. Are you still the executive director at the Senior Executive Association? I'm the director of policy and outreach. So I, I moved off some administrative duties, but I'm still getting to do the fun stuff with with policy, working with our partners, thinking about programming for our members, and the connection between those things. Um, he's in associations. Um, the guy is everywhere, and what drew me so so close to I think Jason is because how down to earth he is, yet he is you know he, he kind of breaks apart that stereotype that in order to be successful you need to be this guy in a suit, hence the guy in the suit. Um, <laughs> but he has so much influence in the circles that he's in. So Jason, thank you so much for joining us today. Oh, thanks, Alex. Happy to be here. Awesome, thank you so much. So I, I like to start off the conversation with asking um, just a little question about where you are now and how you got to be here. Um, what Can you share three separate experiences that result in you being here today in where, wherever you are in your career today? Absolutely. Um... So I've always been one of those people who could never, ever in my entire life answer that question, where do you want to be in two years, in five years, in 10 years? Um, it's, it's kind of like the John Lennon uh, classic response to that, which is, I want to be happy. Um, my my answer has always been, I want to be stimulated and interested in what I'm doing and feel like I'm making a difference somehow. Um, and so as long as I've been learning, having an opportunity to uh, um, grow and experience things. Um, to me, that's satisfying. That's, that's work. And um, I've always been interested in the intersection between policy and politics, you know, where the rubber really meets the road. I was a history major in undergrad, and uh, I guess that could be my first experience. Um, and why I think it's been so important for where I've gotten to in my career is um, a key skill of a history student is synthesizing lots of complex information, trying to understand what's true, and trying to understand how we don't replicate prior mistakes. Uh, so, you know, as, as that's, those skills have become really important, um, especially looking at kind of enterprise issues that affect the federal government, or even as I delve into new subject matter areas, um, like leadership, like talent development, um, and, and trying to draw connections between disparate pieces of information. Um, 
So that's one. Um, a second would be right after undergrad, uh, my wife, my now wife and I uh, went out to Colorado, uh, lived there and worked and made some money for the summer and then went on a three month road trip uh, around the American West. We put about 10,000 miles living out of our car for uh, three and a half months, camping through national parks, forests, um, um, and we did the whole West Coast, and like I said, about 10,000 miles over three, three months driving all around the country, and both inspired kind of a, a fuller appreciation for what our nation has to offer. Um, and that drove me to uh, enter graduate school, um, and I did a Master's of Natural Resources program. And again, kind of interested in the intersection between environmental policy, politics, these issues. Um, and um, during that graduate um, education at NC State, go pack, um, I, uh, uh, we studied complex, um, large wildfires, type one incidents, um, much like we see happening in California and across the country right now. Uh, we were in uh, Arizona, um, New Mexico and Southern California looking at three large type one wildfires and we were studying the communication dynamics between the teams, um, the different levels of government organizations that come together to respond to these incidents and also info seeking behavior of the public before, during and after this incident. And some of the things that really stay with me to this day that were important about that uh, in the role that I have now kind of working in the, the federal government space is the importance of pre-existing relationships, trust, and communication. Um, you have to understand your audience. You have to understand how your audience interprets information. Different people interpret different kinds of information differently. So you have to think about how you vary your approach uh, to communicating with stakeholders and the public, especially if there's an emergency going on. But, you know, in terms of leadership and management, Having pre, you know, we, we started looking at and the team has since continued to flesh out and validate a model where we can actually prove that pre-existing relationships and pre-existing trust between incident managers actually drives more effective response when you have these large situations because you don't have people maybe pausing if someone has a suggestion about what to do. You know, the classic example is firefighters from different parts of the country, you know, based on the terrain that they were experienced with, would, would or would not take advice from, from other incident management teams based on their level of experience and whether they felt like they knew the topography enough. So it's kind of, you have these macro policy objectives or, or, or objective, we have to put this fire out, we have to protect life and property. But all of those small human interactions and those systems that come together to make that happen it's an intricate dance. Um, and so I guess kind of bridging some of those and where I've been and fed um, and, and at the law firm, I've been at Shaw Bransford for eight years now. Uh, coming back to DC, uh, my wife got a job in the government coming out of grad school as a uh, presidential management fellow. I also applied, but didn't, uh, I was a finalist, but I wasn't, I didn't make it. Um, and so I, uh, it's okay, I can do more. Uh, good trouble on this side of the fence. Um, but uh, um, tried to, uh, to get into government and uh, applied for over a year um, to all kinds of public policy jobs um, around town, worked, worked some paid and unpaid internships, and it was a very challenging time. But uh, 
landed at this firm in a basically entry level uh, public policy job uh, that happens to do federal employment law and happened to have this client, the Senior Executives Association, that the, the SES by statute are the interface between political leaders and the rest of the career workforce. And so again, I mentioned earlier, the intersection between policy and politics has always been interesting to me. Um, this seemed like a really interesting fit. And uh, you know, here I am eight years later, I've been SEA's policy director for five years. Uh, I had a lot of other leadership roles within the association as well, in addition to this year becoming a partner um, at the law firm. Um, and uh, so being able to take that systems perspective, see those big picture issues, um, and then think about how to advocate and drive results for, for clients based on what's going on in the environment, um, what's happened in the past, are there different approaches we might take that might be more successful? Um, that's my job. Uh, so it's, it's different every day. Uh, get to do some creative problem solving and uh, uh, think about how to um, be creative about accomplishing our and our clients' objectives. So it's, uh, it's been a fun ride. So you mentioned some really key points that I want to kind of hop on, I guess. Um, not I guess, I'm going to do it. Um, one, um, intersection, intersectionality, which I, I want to table that, so I want to make sure I talk about that, we talk about that in a little bit. Um, but the two was pre-established relationships. Um, I mean, and you know, from my background and our conversations, this is something that I'm always now preaching is, you know, moving forward. I mean, it's always been the case, but even moving forward now, in order for executives and leaders to be successful, they're going to have to have these pre-established or intentionally work on establishing these relationships, these networks ahead of time. So when something big happens, again, like you said, you can build that, you can have that trust and be able to react faster. Um, in your space, have you, have you been seeing um, leaders starting to understand this and actively moving towards, you know, that relationship building component is being really important? Somewhat. I mean, I think we still struggle with silos and government. And part of the challenge is, you know, you might be a chief information officer with a multi-billion dollar budget and thousands of staff working for you. So you have huge responsibilities on, you know, that you're, you, that you have underneath of you um, and you have to pay attention to. Um, and so, and we don't always organize, fund, incentivize uh, working together, working across, uh, working outside. Um, so there are some, some potential structural and incentive barriers there, but, you know, there are many mechanisms, formal and informal. And I, I really think that um, one of the things that I'm trying to drive and I'm, I'm starting to see, but it's, it's not really anyone's job. And I think that's the challenge that I see most in government. It's no one's job to cultivate and build these um, these relationships. And as you point out, Alex, it's, it's the responsibility and obligation of individual leaders. Uh, we can't just stay in our own um, silos. We, we have to at least know enough about what our colleagues are up to, how it affects us, how we might be able to benefit them um, so that we can accomplish shared goals for the public, which at the end of the day in federal agencies is your mission. Um, um, the agency's mission, your programs, objectives, etc. Um, but it's hard. And, and for me, kind of in my 
my version of this is um, it's about authentic connections with people. You know, I'm uh, maybe overly and brutally honest, uh, especially once I get comfortable with folks. But, but I think that that's really important, you know, bringing your authentic self to those relationships as you work to build them is really key because you will build that own network of, of your own, who, of folks who are there, who have that similar mindset, who also appreciate the benefits of sharing and working together. And, and I think that finding ways to scale that, uh, that skill set, but also that mindset, and, and then that opening up that kind of cultural door for that to, for there to be the time, the energy and the space and organizations to do that um, is critically important and, and something that organizations have to be intentional about um, and leaders can drive that by starting through their own actions. And, and you talked about initially how difficult it is. And I love the, you can, in the conversation you and I had offline, I love how you described one of the main factors of being difficult is that you said something, and you can speak to this more um, about the government being developed, designed to be these agencies that were so um, stovepipe, you know, education, education, interior, interior, uh, war, war, you know, there's a reason why we are kind of siloed. Um, and if you want to talk more about that, I, I, I'm pretty sure everyone would love to hear that. Sure, Alex. It's, um, this is an, it's, it's by design, you know, we have had a federal government for, you know, 227 years. I'm not good at math on the fly, but you know, um, so we have these institutions that have evolved over time, but we haven't necessarily been very thoughtful about or intentional about that evolution. Um, especially as, you know, now in the modern era, we really can appreciate much more because of the amount of data and information we have, the interrelation between these issues. You know, uh, water, you know, water is not only something that the EPA cares about. You know, there's two dozen agencies that have water or water related programs. You've got energy, you've got commerce, you've got fisheries, you know, and so these things are really dynamic, but we don't have the government isn't funded or appropriated necessarily um, along those lines. And so, you know, we have interagency work groups, task forces, sometimes led by the White House, sometimes charged by Congress that can um, break through those, those silos, um, sometimes more successfully than others. Uh, you know, one of the more uh, successful initiatives that I know from this administration around this is a uh, what they have done at Health and Human Services with their Reimagine initiative, actually trying to get the Department of Health and Human Services to work as a department instead of a series of, you know, federated large um, research institutions. Um, and it's been very successful to bring the disparate parts of that organization together around some common goals um, and reflecting on some common challenge areas so that they can collectively deliver more uh, impact and value for the public. And, um, you know, I'm thinking a lot about this these days with 12 days until the end of the fiscal year, no appropriations whatsoever, we're going to have a CR, but also knowing that we spent $3 trillion already uh, addressing coronavirus. So we're going we're gonna to have to do some belt tightening, uh, either ourselves or Congress is going to do it for the executive branch and for government, um, uh, both probably by, by necessity and because of political 
the political winds in the air. So we need to be thinking about that and getting ahead of it now. And that's why I think raising these conversations and um, ha especially having uh, leaders within, within organizations think about how they can get ahead of that, work better together. Um, again, you, you can still deliver that impact if you think a little more creatively about your operations. Um, and that's, uh, that's gonna be an important conversation I think we'll see in the, in, in the coming months and coming years. And, and you know, you, you, you touched upon something I just wanna put a pin in because I wanna make sure everyone heard this. Um, you said there is a particular effort at HHS, HHS, right? Yep. Um, that was trying to break down some of those silos and, and help the agencies and those within communicate better. And I wanna put a pin in that because there is, I've, I pride myself on working with all sides of the aisle, whether they be Democratic, Republican, Libertarian, what, whatever it may be. Um, I teach skills to help them be successful, regardless of, of political affiliation. Um, and I've seen so many people who say, well, this administration implemented something, so it must be bad. Um, and that's just, I just don't feel like that's the that's accurate. I don't think any administration can do in everything bad, right? And I think in order to be, in order to be influential, in order to be successful, and be someone who doesn't, you know, I, there are there are definitely executives who literally get put into a closet um, after administration changes because they're seen as being this, or they don't want, you know. I, I felt like, you know, I'll just share from my own experience. I had a lot of really great and influential relationships during the Obama administration. Um, and with the White House. And after Trump won, um, I very quickly realized I didn't have any relationships on the other side of the aisle. And that put me at, at a disadvantage as a leader because I didn't and have the ability to influence and ensure that my programs were being funded and secured and supported at those levels that they should have been. Um, so I just wanted to say, I, I really appreciate you bringing out, you know, just actually calling out there was some good done. Yeah, you know, Alex, I think that living life in simplistic terms, especially, you know, blue, red, partisan politics is really dangerous and overly simplistic. Um, you know, my approach in our government affairs practice and how we try and serve our clients, you know, in addition to SCA, I have several other federal employee clients, uh, corporate clients. Um, for me, when I'm acting in their uh, shoes as an advocate, it's their objectives that matter. You, you, know, you have to be a little dispassionate and that's also a charge of civil servants. Um, the oath of office is to the constitution, not to the ideas of one political party or any particular leader. And so if, if the North Star is, is the public and you're in the public interest, I think it's much easier to try to find the good um, that does exist when and where you can find it. And you have to be more specific about the language we use talking about the things we like and we don't like. And that can be a tough line. You know, it's, it's, it doesn't play in a 24 seven media cycle, but you know, words matter. Being thoughtful matters, um, being specific matters. And it's something that might take energy, but you know, it at least helps me sleep at night a lot better knowing that I'm trying to be honest, think about the goodness and the badness and, and all angles of it because as much as, for example, we're, uh, we don't like certain things that are going on with federal personnel policy, for example, in other areas, there are other conversations that this administration has started that are really important and long overdue in that area. 
So again, you've got to take the good and the bad, and, and you, you've got to take the, the partisan lens out of it. Again, thank you for making that point. And, and I guess I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to change this, I'm going to direct us in a slightly different direction really quickly is as we try to I mean, hit back on those relationships you were talking about, those intentional relationships, have you ever had to build a relationship with someone that you didn't particularly care for? Um, and if so, how did you, how did you develop that relationship? How did you make yourself do this if you didn't particularly care for or respect that person? Yeah, uh, I think it's a, a really important question, Alex. Thanks for asking it. It's obviously it's hard. And I also differentiate between personal and professional relationships. And I think that's where it starts for me. Um, you know, you have to be able to have a professional relationship, uh, especially if you're, you know, the, the, the further you go up in your career. Um, you know, people come of all shapes, sizes, and stripes and colors, you know, um, you have to be able to, to work with that and, and roll with that, especially in, you know, at the end of the day, every business is a people business. You know, that's, that's part of how I think about things. And so you have the professional piece, be able to, you know, hold yourself back if you might be upset about something that was said or done, but be able to talk about what you need to talk about. And so there are strategies that you can employ if, if there are those feelings, uh, you might have those feelings, come to the meeting with an agenda, you know, make it clear exactly what's, you know, inbounds and out of bounds so that you don't go down a path um, that could lead to an argument if, if you're really trying to achieve an objective or, or come to a consensus or just an agreement. Um, and then, you know, for me, again, I'm, uh, Part of it's just sensing personality and knowing, you know, at some point you'll know those people you can be more open with. Um, and then you can kind of show them more of, of your personality and be more open. And for me, you know, there's no set path on it, but at some point I get more comfortable with, with people on the professional side and I show them more of personal Jason. Um, and that's more really more comes down to just being like, horribly, brutally honest and straightforward about things. Um, and, um, and so I have friends on all sides of the aisle um, because there's good people in this space who wanna make a positive difference. Um, whether they're on the Hill, they're in agencies, they're an appointee, whatever. You know, you've, find the people that you get attracted to, you know. Um, keep an open mind and have, at least have those professional conversations and see if you get that feeling inside that, you know, at the end of the day, this is a good person, you know, I want to be friends with them. I want them to have my cell phone number, whatever. Thank you for tuning in to the Alex Tremble Show. We'll be right back after a word from our sponsors. Federal open season is over, but you can apply for WEPA life insurance year round. WEPA has been insuring the future of federal employees for more than 75 years. WEBA can be used as a supplement or a replacement for Fegley and can cost less. Last year, members who switched saved $375 on average. Apply for WEBA Group Term Life Insurance and see how much you could save by visiting WAEPA.org today. The results are in. Research has found that networking is one of the four skills absolutely required to successfully advance in your career. 
However, when asked, most government employees state that they don't network because they believe that networking is for extroverts and for people who care more about their own careers than the organization's mission. But what if there was a way to ethically network without looking self-absorbed and being a super extrovert? Well, there is. Alex Tremble has created a seven-week online networking course specifically designed to give ambitious leaders like yourself the skills needed to become a strategic networker. This course uses time-tested and research-backed strategies to help you identify, build, and maintain critical relationships with influential leaders. Visit alextremble.com slash courses slash networking to learn more about his networking model today. Use the discount code PODCASTFAMILY on the checkout screen to receive a 20% discount. Don't delay. Enroll today at alextremble.com slash courses slash networking. And now back to The Alex Tremble Show with your host, Alex Tremble. You, you know what's really interesting, actually, because you had me thinking, um, you know, SCA, SCA, one, one of your, one of your, only one of your clients, um, you guys have now um, allowed, I think, GS12, uh, starting at GS12 to participate in some of your, your, your trainings and things like that. Um, I used to think that it was more so like people at the lower ranks um, had to still be taught the importance of strategic relationship, uh, networking, um, um, navigating politics, organizational politics. And I felt like the, the people at, you know, the GS 14, 15 SCS level, they're good. They, they, they know this stuff. <laughs> okay, so you know where I'm going with this. Um, I, I was actually on a, on a call with um, a person who was a, a, a 14, high level 14. And, you know, the, I don't want to say oblivious to the politics, but just was like, I'm not that, I'm not that person. I don't want to play the game. I care about the mission. That's it. I'm going to say this. And I was like, you don't want to say this. Like, if, if you say it like that, it's going to get you in trouble. You're not going to further your mission. I, I guess... I guess the question I'm trying to pull out from is, you know, wh why do you believe that so many people are adverse to understanding and wanting to utilize political savvy skills to be successful? Um, I think I might characterize it a little bit differently, Alex. I think it's uh... I think that there's a lack of incentives, especially within the, you know, a public service bureaucracy, you know, the federal government that, that you and I are most familiar with, um, to work and operate outside your silo. Um, again, it goes back to where's the money come from? Um, what, you know, did Congress direct us to use this money a certain way? And, you know, I come across people here and there who think that it could be an, an um, anti-deficiency act violation to, to collaborate with others who are not, you know, defined in their appropriation or their authorization. Um, obviously, I disagree with that um, perspective, but if that cultural fear is there, real or otherwise, um, there's inhibitions. And so mm -hmm. I think it gets to what are the incentives within the system for people to work together? Um, um, to, to overcome those um, bounds. And then, you know, we haven't even talked about this, but there's career appointee, career officials and political officials also have different incentives. And so that's a whole new level of, of um, 
challenge, especially as you become more senior, because you know, political leaders are there for policy purposes, rightfully so. They're the president's agent for policy decisions, but um, they are also looking to achieve, you know, short-term uh, objectives, usually moving those policy priorities forward and not necessarily thinking about organizational health, you know, how are people are gonna, gonna be doing now in five, 10 years into the future? You know, that's, that is the, the statutory obligation of career uh, officials and senior executives, certainly. Um, but depending on how your agency sets up its uh, executive resources board, for example, um, and staffs it with, with appointees versus career folks, uh, those priorities into the organization, uh, those politics, the systemic politics, uh, if you're trying to be seen or not seen so you can advance your career, are really organizationally and, and kind of dependent and, and even personality dependent based on where you sit within that hierarchy. It's tricky. It's a mess. No, it's easy. And you're going to tell everyone how to do it. Go on. <laughs> Just be yourself. I don't know. I mean, I say that, I say that flippantly because, you know, part of a, you know, I can tell people the truth and not feel like I'm going to get fired because I'm not, you know, I have a stable employment. I, you know, my, my clients are satisfied with the work we do. If I'm going to put myself or them out on a limb, I know that I have enough feeling of, of when we're pushing the, the needle or the edge that, you know, I'll get the approval of our board to put a message out or, or something like that. Um, so it is really important to, check yourself if you are afraid you might wreck yourself, you know, and so that's either <laughs> other colleagues or your actual oversight bodies. So if you do have a trusted supervisor, ask them. If you have another colleague in another organization, ask them. Uh, if there's someone, you know, who ultimately is the decision maker, tee up the options for them. Give them a decision memo, um, you know, and if, if you're bringing, you know, your best intentions and, and being clear about what you're trying to achieve, hopefully you can work through it. Um, and again, it's, it's easier said than done because um, there's a lot of tools. If you don't like someone within the system, especially in the government, um, that you can use against them. And, and that's unfortunate. Well, you know, um, a couple things, actually. So anyone who's listening, if you haven't um, listen to the audio version of Reaching Senior Leadership. Um, it's a really great book. Uh, you can find it at alextrumbull.com. The audio version has additional content in it, which is going to be really cool. And actually, uh, there's a guy named um, Michael O'Bannon, who uh, multiple political administrations he's been within, and he's really great with politics. And he tells the story about why it's important to know the rules um, what can and cannot be done to you so you can make more effective decisions and not be afraid of someone trying to take you down. Um, so I, I would encourage anyone who hasn't listened to the audio version of that, alextrimble.com. Um, you can get your, your definitely listen to that copy today. Um, but two, I think this also underscores the importance of, of being intentional, being strategic in presenting ideas to political leadership. So you're right. Like they, political leadership, they, their time is moving like this, right? You know, administration has four years. First year is probably just re basically recruiting, understanding what's going on. The last year is transitioning to, you know, campaigning. So they got two, 
good years to get a lot of stuff done or so they can look good for the administration and also for them, their, their own jobs, right? Because they're not going to stay in the administration forever. They're going to go somewhere else. And so the political leaders I've spoken to have always said, it's really great um, when plans are presented to them when they show up. If, if, a, if, if a career person has thought through, okay, how can I, um, what projects, what programs, what initiatives will support this president's administration and actually have a plan laid out for them to consider, they appreciate that stuff because again, it's, they're just coming in. They don't know everything yet. And if you've taken the time to develop that plan, the thought is that you've been thoughtful in how that plan, how that initiative will impact the agency five, 10, 15 years outward, right? Absolutely. And I'll also mention that, you know, agencies right now are in their strategic planning process as required by the Government Performance Results Act, Modernization Act, GIPRAMA, um, you know, which is now timed with every four-year presidential cycle. So um, that's, you know, a process that's definitely driven uh, in large part by career executives. And then obviously the administrations are, are going to put their imprint on it, but that's a real mechanism and an important opportunity to try and balance those organizational needs that, that, that agencies, departments need to take care of, while also incorporating and taking into account those objectives of, of a current or incoming administration. So you, you've spent a good amount of time with us already. So I, I appreciate it so much already. Um, I, I do want to then really quickly and make that turn again towards um, intersectionality. Um, that, you, that was a theme as you kind of introduced yourself and you, how you got to where you are today. You introduced that, that theme of intersectionality. And I'd love to kind of dive in that just a little bit more. Um, and if my question is, I feel like I see a lot of people who believe they're focused in one area. Um, I'm interested in biology or geology or hydrology or um, food safety, whatever it is. And they, they are just focused on that. And I don't think they always, you look at, look at the world intersectionality. So maybe this is my hope it makes sense, but you know, their passion area as well as the skills required to make that passion area come to fruition, which is that politics that you're talking about, um, is what, what are your thoughts on that just initially? Yeah, so I have, a, as I mentioned earlier, I'm a serial generalist. Um, so there's actually a great book about this topic um, by, um, uh, called Range by David Epstein. And it looks at, um, you know, this hypothesis that, uh, you know, your favorite athletes, your Tiger Woods, you know, people who have just, you know, been at the top of their game, that they got there through folk, you know, streamlined and nonstop laser focus on that skill or that area for, for their whole life. Um, that's been the premise, you know, that, that that's how you build expertise. Well, what this book does is actually explores people throughout history and finds that often those who are most successful have to have many, many different failures and experiences on their journey to that success. And, um, and that the benefit of the different experiences is the ability to draw connections between different areas. So if you don't stay within that biology silo your whole life, you know, maybe you were a, um, 
a cook. And then you become uh, the chief learning officer at the VA, uh, like we were on a panel with recently. Um, those are different life experiences that uh, you can draw connections between different things in. And so one of the, the key interesting findings from range is something that resonates personally with me, because this is a lot of, of how I personally operate is knowing a lot about a bunch of different things and seeing where it all comes together. And that's often where the most creative, impactful, innovative ideas happen when, when uh, kind of these collisions of, of different worlds come together because it creates a different perspective and way of looking at that issue. Um, so I highly recommend that book, Range, um, by David Epstein to folks, because uh, I think it really gets at um, the importance of, you know, uh, being able to put your, put your head out, you know, outside of the foxhole and see uh, what else is going on around you. And uh, reading, keeping yourself open to new ideas, um, you know, building a, a, a diverse LinkedIn or other professional type networks are, are ways that I am constantly trying to bring you know, uh, new voices and ideas, you know, into kind of my own orbit. And so, uh, and that feeds into a constant just curiosity. Like I'm curious about stuff. I want to know how things fit together or not um, just enough to know how it kind of works. Um, and sometimes that's enough to be dangerous. Um, and I think it's important to be honest. What, what you know and you don't know. Um, and that comes with that. I, I actually want to throw an idea out here that I've never said publicly. I actually just thought about it a couple of days ago. Um, so this is not going to be clean at all. Um, I was on a, uh, a coaching session with some clients and we ended up talking about the importance of coaching, right? And there's all these agencies right now who are really pushing this idea of coaching and training every supervisor to be a coach and all the good things like that. Um, and what they're doing, they're training them in the ICF style, um, which is basically inquiry-based, um, asking a lot of questions. And the person I was on the phone call said, you know, look, you know, she has one of those coaches and it's not really helpful. Um, and she was like, I know myself, you know, I need some help. I need more information. I, I need something else. Um, all those questions like therapy. And another person on the phone uh, on the call said, well, you know, I think understanding yourself is better. You know, understanding yourself is important. And, you know, those introspective questions help me, blah, blah, blah. And where it came from, because she gave this story about how she was told one thing. She read a book one time in, in her um, college career and it really didn't mean anything to her. But then a couple of years later, she read the same book and was like mind blowing, right? And what I brought to the table was that, um, one, I believe that introspection is important to, un, you know, just kind of ask questions and so on and so forth. Um, but I don't think it's enough. Um, I, I believe that if introspection was enough, you know, this whole idea of the answers within you, um, if introspection was enough, then there would be no need for books because, because books are ideas from someone else. Trainings are ideas from someone else. So you need the ideas of other people um, to bring into your, to your life. And then you can use like kind of that introspection, the intersection of those ideas to create something really great for you. But you need those additional ideas. And it is, when you talked about, 
you know, you being an avid reader and curious and wanting more information. It just made me think of that. Um, and again, how this, how I feel like we're going as a workforce and the government is, oh, everyone needs these coaches. They only teach introspective stuff. Like you need also experts, people who can provide you new information to consider. Yeah, I think you're right, Alex. And I, uh, I'm, you know, thrilled to see that coaching and mentoring are becoming more important, you know, focal areas of government agencies, especially outside of the DOD. Um, but I, you know, think that make, making every supervisor be a coach is the worst idea in the world. Um, you know, there's aptitude. There are people, you know, in, in, the, in part, it goes back to we know that we often promote subject matter experts who didn't want to be supervisors in the government into supervisory roles. So until we can change that equation and start actually uh, cultivating and selecting leaders for those human skills, those interpersonal skills, um, you know, uh, we still have a little bit of a ways to go. But, but you're right. There's, and I think I also mentioned that the conversation that you reflected and shared, Alex, is important because different people take information and feedback differently. So someone who benefits from uh, getting a thousand questions thrown at them, um, but someone else may feel under assault the whole time. And this is just going to cause stress, maybe even PTSD, other issues. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And so we need to be thoughtful about the approaches that we're bringing to these areas and not taking a one size fits all approach. And, and that'll, you know, that has to start with you as an individual. What works for you? If you're not sure yet, start with that introspection. And then there's some different options out there. Um, you know, I'm a fan of taking assessments, not because I take them as dogma, because they teach me different things about myself. Um, and they all just become, or if I'm learning about leadership frameworks, their quivers or their arrows in a quiver, they're not the way I think about the entire world. It's options and ways to process information and, and um, relationships. Well, I, I, again, want to thank you so much for joining us here today. And I'm going to tell everyone, I'm going to give Jason a, a second to ha share any last final thoughts you want to share. Um, but I want to just really encourage everyone to listen to this interview, listen to it over and over and over. There's so many nuggets that came from this conversation here. And I'm going to, sorry to put you out here like this, Jason, I would suggest strongly that you find Jason on LinkedIn. He is always posting and sharing great articles. Um, so I, I'm, I'm always seeing what comes across your, your feed, Jason. So I always appreciate it. So thank you. Um, what I'm going to do is I'm going to ask you one last question and then you can wrap up with any other thoughts you may have. Um, I know this is going to be a funny question for you because you and I had this conversation before, but if someone wanted to become Jason, how would they go about doing it? I don't know. I don't think that's a fair question because I don't know how I got here, Alex. <laughs> um, uh, truly, like I said, I've, uh, I've just wanted to always feel like um, making a difference, making the world a little bit better of a place. Um, and even though, you know, truly, I often feel like I'm just, you know, banging my head against the, the granite walls around um, um, or maybe marble uh, around Washington, D.C., <laughs> um, you have to find a way to be satisfied and driven by what you're doing. So what's, what's your purpose? What makes you tick? Um, uh, both professionally and personally. 
Um, sometimes those things are one and the same, but hopefully you have things on both sides of the fence. Uh, so for, in addition to all the professional work stuff, you know, uh, my wife and I love going to live music. Uh, we're going to a socially distanced concert, you know, at a big field this evening with our two kids. You know, we like camping, we like doing things. So, um, you know, don't focus only on work, you know, have a, have a, have a full and uh, uh, diverse uh, life, try and balance things. And then, um, you know, don't feel like you need to set yourself onto a trajectory and be locked in forever. Um, the one thing that we know about work, technology, and everything else is that change is just going to accelerate faster and faster and faster. Uh, a study 20 years ago uh, found that by the time you graduate from college, your skills are already obsolete. We're 20 years later. We know how much faster technology is moving and everything else. Mm -hmm. So I think that finding that, that way to build and cultivate that curiosity, being always learning, uh, again, whether that's reading books, interacting with folks online, reading articles, just find ways to expose yourself to, to diverse ideas, diverse perspectives, um, and not get caught in, um, you know, kind of self-reinforcing bubbles. And that can be really tricky especially on social media um, these days um, because of the way algorithms work. But, um, you know, I, I really do think that you don't have to have a path to be successful and to get somewhere. And, and you just try and be authentic and, and about the actions you're taking and what you're trying to do. And I think good opportunities follow others. Um, if, if you kind of are putting those characteristics first, you know, that, that authenticity, um, that honesty, um, and, you know, good old hard work, you know, never hurts. Uh, there's definitely lots of that. <laughs> lots of night hour, uh, mid, you know, late hours burning the midnight oil. But um, you can get there. You know, I think that's, that's the message. You can get there if you want to. And we all have our own different paths. And I think it's important for folks to know that they're not alone. You know, there are lots of ways to get support, you know, whether that's a professional association, whether that's a church group, whether that's a, an employee resource group within your agency, there are so many places that you can seek out, you know, other peers and colleagues to help you drive this. And that's one of my big, um, you know, objectives and things that I want to try and do in this space is uh, connect um, the disruptors, the folks who are, are working on pushing us forward in a positive and proactive way, because I'm really convinced that they're not as alone as they may feel within the large bureaucracy. And if we can uh, help folks find those connections, um, work together, know that they're not so alone, maybe we can turn this whole ship uh, a little bit faster than it might turn on its own. And for the federal government, you can't ask for much more than that. So it's, it's a long haul. Good thing we're young and we can go through this for a while, right, Alex? <laughs> uh, my body doesn't feel you. Um, <laughs> So I took two really important points from that. Uh, a lot of important points, but just two, I want to make sure everyone heard. Do it and you don't got to do it alone. So he talked about taking action, moving forward. You don't need to have a set plan, but you do got to be taking action. And then you don't got to do it alone. You know, look at your colleagues, you know, where can you help people? Where can people help you work together, collaborate? Uh, I think those are two, like, I love those two points of all the points that you shared. Um, for our audience today. Um, did you have any final thoughts before we wrap up? 
I think I'll leave it with that, Alex. You know, I, I really think that, uh, I, you know, I believe in karma, you know, whether it's the, the mystical version or just the social capital version. You know, if you put good out, good's going to come back to you. Um, so, so again, lead with, lead with your intentions, lead with your heart, you know, the rest will follow, um, be true to yourself and, uh, you can do it. Uh, and you're not alone. Like Alex said, reach out to him, reach out to me, find other friends in your network that, that can help you, um, on your journey. So again, thank you so much, Jason, for being here today. And thank you, the audience, everyone who's watching today. We greatly appreciate it. Make sure you click a like, subscribe, whatever button is around there. You make sure you click it um, so we can continue pushing these, these videos out. Um, again, Jason is on LinkedIn. Phenomenal guy. Posts phenomenal information all the time. I'm also on LinkedIn. You can go to alextrimble.com, subscribe to my newsletter. Um, I also send out a lot of great free information there. As I always leave every video, Remember, stay strong, stay positive, and definitely stay moving. Thanks for listening. Find us online at thealextrembleshow.com and be sure to share what you've learned with at least one other person today. Check back on the first and third Wednesday of each month for new episodes. Until next time, stay strong, stay positive, and definitely stay moving.